I was sitting there thinking that verse, I will sing of the goodness of God. Man, God is so good. Constantly, every day, every day we wake up and we look at the creation and the weather and just the breath of life, everything. God is so awesome. We are very fortunate and blessed to be His children. Um, we missed you all a lot the last couple of weeks. Uh, two weeks ago, Brendan and I went down to Florida for an early uh, anniversary trip. And then last weekend, we were in St. George doing some research and development on some homes. Um, but I did get an opportunity to listen to the, the messages online on our podcast. And Tree spoke about marriage, which was a, an awesome sermon, challenging, convic- convicting, and encouraging. Um, and then Steve last week spoke on debt. I don't know if you guys were here or who was all here, but that also was challenging, convicting, and encouraging at the same time. And my, my goal is that uh, both of those sermons that Treese preached and that Steve preached were very applicable to our lives today. And my goal this morning is that the sermon is uh, just as applicable in your day-to-day life. Um, and when I originally started, had this idea, I don't know, four or five days ago, I started to put it together in my head and started to put it on paper. I thought this is just going to be geared towards kind of the youth. And, and, you know, of course, I naturally, when I prepare a sermon, I think of my own children. And I'm hoping that they listen and they pay attention. But uh, as I got through writing it and as I was going through it in my head and kind of putting the pieces in little boxes inside my gray matter, and then I put it on paper, I realized that this message is applicable to all Christians everywhere. And if we look in the New Testament... And we look in the Old Testament, we can see why it's applicable. We can see what God has, has done and what He's instructed. And we've got to remember that God gives us this knowledge through His Word for our own good. He doesn't give it just so He can be you know, in charge of us and, and with, rule with an iron fist. He gives us these instructions and this teaching because He loves us. And He knows that if we follow His ways, we're going to be better off. So this morning I want to look at something uh, called guilt by association. Uh, it's also known as association fallacy, and it's, a, it's, def, it's defined officially as guilt ascribed to someone, not because of any evidence, but because of their association with an offender. Again, kids, I really want you to pay attention. Adults, I really want you to pay attention because, again, this guilt by association known as association fallacy is guilt ascribed to someone, not because of any evidence, but because of their association with an offender. Uh, for example... Group of kids go and they're, what's that song back in the 60s, Smoking in the Boys' Room? Wasn't that a, a, a song a long time ago, Smoking in the Boys' Room? So uh, you, you take 10 kids and they're smoking in the boys' room and one's not. Just because he's in that group of people in the boys' room, he doesn't even take a puff. He's going to be guilty by association. Um, a, being seen with a rough and rowdy group around school, you may not be a rough and rowdy type, you may get good grades, but you're going to be Guilt by association if your teachers see you running around with those types of kids. So there's a, a story, it's based on a true story, and it's actually called Guilt by Association. It was a, a movie, and it was about a woman named Susan Walker, who was a widowed single woman, and she uh, got tied in with this, this man named Russell, and she thought he was the, the next, you know, I don't know, Superman or whatever. This was going to be the love of her life, and he was a great guy. Well, it turns out this Russell character was a drug dealer, that was uh, dealing drugs behind her back and didn't know it. And then she found out, so she broke up with him. Well, then he got this drug ring happened. This, I think this was in the 80s this happened. This drug ring happened. He got busted. And because she had broken up with him and because she had, you know, uh, didn't want anything to do with him, he said, she is my accomplice. 
And so the cops came and raided her house. It wasn't just a small drug bust. I guess it was a big drug bust. Raided her house, and she was guilty by association, and she spent 20 years in prison, and she went before a jury, and they found her guilty. So because she was with the wrong guy at the wrong period of time in this person's life, she was considered guilty, spent 20 years in prison. And um, for you younger uh, kids out there, you know, I, uh, younger humans out there, I recognize that we do, all of us, live in this society and this world that pushes acceptance and that pushes going with the flow, kind of fitting in and being in with the in crowd. And even as adults, it seems that we've been kind of trained throughout history, the pecking order in school and, and society and the playground, that they separate some kids and they, they bring other kids in. You have the popular cool group and, and many of us as adults aspire to be in that group or aspire to be in this clique or whatever it is. And uh, I want to talk about that, that um, that's not necessarily what God's wanting from us. And years ago, I was a part of a ministry. It was called Warriors at Heart. And it was based on a book by John Eldridge. And it was a good book about a father's wounds and how we get past that. And in this, this ministry, we were up at this camp called Camp Red Cloud. It was up near Lake City, Colorado. And we'd go to this camp. And Joe, have you been to one of those before? Oh. Okay, yeah, Camp Red Cloud. Three of them, yeah. Camp Red Cloud is an awesome place. And it's, it just seems like a place to get closer to God, the higher in elevation you go. But uh, at this men's ministry, they would do these events every night. We'd have these videos, and they would, you know, they would do things based on this book that John Eldridge wrote, Wild at Heart. And part of the teaching within this men's ministry is that they were trying to get men to recognize that they were posers. And they were, well, I'm not a poser. I'm like, well, I bet you there's a part of each one of us that's a little bit of a poser. So you take me and, and, and Kyle and... Ryan and Chris, and then maybe four or five other guys, and we're sitting around a garage, and we got the hood popped up, and we're looking at a motor or an engine, and we're looking down in it, and I'm going, oh, yeah, that's a good-looking motor, isn't it, Ryan? <laughs> Chris, what do you think about that? And I might not even know where the carburetor is. And I'm just hoping that Kyle doesn't say, hey, Nate, uh, Nate pass me the spark plug wrench, because I don't want to be discovered, Right? So I kind of act like I know what I'm talking about on a motor. I really don't. I don't understand it. And Brian and Rachel would come over years ago, and we'd start, he'd tell me about work, and he'd say, this is happening, and this is It's just one over my head, one after another. And Rachel's smiling because she knows I don't have a, the faintest idea what he's talking about. But he's talking like a surgeon does in a hospital room and, or giving you, di you know, diagnosing whatever is ailing you. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, I get you, Ryan. But Ryan, I finally look at Ryan. Ryan, I don't have a clue what you're saying. I don't have, I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. And so Rachel would smile because she knows more about motors and diesel. Is it diesel motor? Diesel motor, is that the right? Is it gas engine diesel motor? Is that how it works? Other way around? Oh, okay. Well, there we go. They're all engines. <laughs> so, yeah, I knew that. But, so we act like posers. We try and fit in and we try and be in this little group. And, and I'm telling you, this concept of being that way is outside of God's plan. It's outside of God's will for us. It's outside of what God is encouraging us to be. And you see it as early days. I was a freshman in high school, and this, this kid was, came out to trial for baseball. We're all freshmen, and you've got 14 kids at this baseball trial, or 20 kids, whatever it is, and there's always that one guy that starts acting like he's the best player out there, and he knows everything, and he's the stud. And the coach comes up, and he's just kind of listening to this conversation, and, he, and we all were like, ah, whatever, this typical kid. 
And the coach comes up and he sees it and he's like, well, I've got to break, I got to break this. I don't want to break his spirit, but I got to break him down so I can build him up in a more humble, better way so he's better for the team. And so he said to this kid, hey, I want you to go get, go to the, go to the storage shed over down by third base and get the box of curveballs and bring him here for batting practice. And the kid's like, yeah, coach is asking me to go get the box of curveballs and he goes and gets it. Well, he's going to be in there forever because there's no such thing as a box of curveballs. A curveball is something you throw. That's like getting the box of sliders or the box of change-ups or the box of fastballs. But this guy just wanted to pose like he was somebody. He wanted to fit in and be one of the cool guys. And there's another one that says, go get the left-handed screwdriver. Have you ever pulled that on anybody? Did you just tell Peg that? Yeah, okay, yeah. The, the glass what? Oh, the glass. Yeah, we've got board stretchers in construction. Yeah. Yep. Pretty soon they come back and they said, the last guy said that he lost it, right? <laughs> There's no such thing as a glass stretcher or a board stretcher. Um, so that's just something that I think humans, humans struggle with. And there's the saying that comes true with all of these different mindsets and these different things is that birds of a feather flock together. And if you lie down with dogs, you're going to wake up with fleas. And you will be judged by the company that you keep. These are all things that are known to be true. I mean, it's who you're hanging out with, who you're spending time with, initially is kind of who you become. What is there a saying? It's that you're going to be judged by the, the books you read and the company you keep. So I want to encourage today to figure out a way to make this applicable to our lives because I don't believe that this just falls in line with the kids of today. I don't believe it just falls in line with my son or sons and my daughter about what kind of friends they keep. But I also think it applies to us. Who do we spend time with? Do we just meet each other and hang out here together as a church group for an hour and in three hours on every fourth Sunday? Or do we actually get to know each other and spend time with each other? Are we growing together in the Lord? And I think that when you look at Scripture and you see what happens when people associate and spend time with and get counsel from people that are outside of God's will and not giving us God's will, it leads to danger. And in one point, it leads to death. It can lead to death. Years ago, we were uh, with a young couple, and, and uh, Hollis was leading a Bible study group, and I think there were four couples, and he started a Bible study, and the, he named the Bible study, So Amnon Had a Friend. That's the name of the Bible study. So Amnon had a friend. So go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 13. And I want to explain, hopefully through Scripture, the dangers of getting counsel from people that are giving you counsel outside of God's will. In lack of wisdom, godly wisdom. And this is what happens. So Absalom in chapter 13, sorry, Amnon, in the course of time, starting in verse 13, I normally don't read long passages like this, but it is a very interesting story. And there is a lot to be gleaned from this one passage. There is a ton to be gleaned from this passage. You can look at, you can look at the relationship side of things. You can look at the premarital relationship side of things. There's a lot of things we can look at their young people and teach them and say, this is not good. Look what happened in this situation. So in 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 1, it says, In the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Amnon became frustrated to the point of illness on account of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible for him 
to do anything with her. Now, for any of us that have been 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 young men, you've looked at this girl that you just had absolute head over heels crush over, and you couldn't sleep because you think about her. Your stomach's in knots because you love her so much, and she won't give you the time of day. Am I the only one, Ryan? Or is there like, when you're 16, you're like, oh man, she is so cute, I like her, I want to spend time with her, and she's like, ah, no, no, no. And you're just, you're knots over this young lady. Well, so Amnon was in knots over his, I guess it would be his half-sister. We're not going to go into that. That's another whole other conversation way back when. But he's in knots over this young lady, and she's just this very pure woman that says, no, you know, I'm, I'm a virgin. I'm not going to have anything to do with you. And so Amnon had a friend. He had a buddy. He had someone he hung out with. It was a friend of his. And Amnon, his name was Jonadab, son of Shemiah. David's brother, Jonadab, was a very shrewd man. I don't think that was a compliment coming from God in this situation. Now, he does say he's be wise as serpents, gentle as doves, or be uh, uh, shrewd as serpents as, and gentle as doves. But in this case, it says Jonadab was a very shrewd man. He, uh, man, he asked Amnon, why do, you, why do you, the king's son, look so haggard morning after morning? Won't you tell me? Amnon said to him, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. And so Jonadab had, is that how you say that, Steve? Jonadab? 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 Does that work, Jonadab? Go to bed and pretend me. So he devises a plan. He's got this plan, this good counsel, this good friend of Amnon had this plan. Go to bed and pretend to be ill, Jonadab said. When your father comes to see you, say to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare the food in my sight so I may watch her and then eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. When the king came to him, See him, Amnon said, I would like my sister Tamar to come and make some special bread in my sight so I may eat from her hand. David sent word to Tamar at the palace, go to the house of your brother Amnon and prepare some food for him. So Tamar went to the house of her brother Amnon, who was lying down. She took some dough, kneaded it, made out the bread, made the bread in his sight and baked it. Then she took the pan and served him the bread, but he refused to eat. Send everyone out of here, Amnon said. So everyone left him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food here into my bedroom so I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the bread she had prepared and brought it to her brother Amnon in his bedroom. But when she took it to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, Come to bed with me, my sister. Don't, my brother, she said to him. Don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? And what about you? You would be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. Please speak to the king. Be, he will not keep me from being married to you. But he refused to listen to her. And since he was stronger than her, since she was stronger than she, he defiled her. I'll let you parents, if you want to read the more accurate version of that passage. Read it with your kids later. Then Amnon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. What happened in between? He loved her to where his stomach was in knots because he loved her so much. Something happened and then he hated her. You can fill in the blank of what happened in between. Get up and get out, Amnon said to her. No, she said to him, sending me away would be a greater wrong than what you have already done to me. But he refused to listen. And you fast forward in the story. And Absalom hears 
hears about what happened to his sister because she's crying and she tears the robe and she the robe that was given to the king's daughters that was a symbol of virginity and, and he, she tears them and she's crying and so she goes to live with Absalom and Absalom doesn't say a wicked thing or a good thing about Amnon. For two years, King David was furious. Amnon got this, this counsel from a good buddy of his and he did what he did and then she starts living with her half-brother, her, her brother. And Absalom devises a plan, and he decides to have a, a get-together. And he calls King David, and he says, hey, come to my house for a party. He says, no, it wouldn't be good for me to come. It's too many people. He goes, well, at least invite Amnon. Let Amnon come to this party. And David says, okay, Amnon, you and your, your other brother and half-brothers, you go to this party that Absalom is throwing. So Absalom called his crew, and he says, hey, when you see Amnon and he drinks too much, kill him. Two years later, kill him. And that's what happened. So this council, this relationship that Amnon had with Jonadab, Son of Shemiah led to death. Bad counsel led to death. There's this, I know that's it. There's so much in this passage for young women especially. There's so much in this passage for young women. But we'll have to do that. Fathers, you'll have to have that. Mothers, you have to have that conversation with your daughters at some point, hopefully sooner than later, about the dangers of putting yourselves in situations. But in 1 Corinthians 15, we have this this book that Paul wrote, this, the first letter that he wrote to the church of Corinth. And in this passage, I want to read a commentary real quick about this passage. And it says, in this first letter to the Corinthians, the apostle Paul was writing of false teachers who had come into the church at Corinth, teaching that the resurrection of Jesus Christ wasn't true. And these people considered only their physical existence and denied life after death or the resurrection. And as a result, their moral outlook on life influenced the rest of the Corinthian believers. So there was people saying there is no resurrection of the dead. And he says, no, there is a resurrection of the dead. And, and this teaching that there was no resurrection of the dead began to influence the actions of these people. I'm in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, and we'll start it with the verse here in a minute. But then later on, Paul is telling us, Paul is telling us that associating with false teachers, we will be adversely influenced by them Truth is that false teachings do not lead to holiness. As such, it is critical that we are careful whom we form relationships with, especially those outside the church, because unbelievers can cause even the strongest Christians to waver in their faith and adversely affect their walk with Christ and their witness to the world. That's why Paul tells us in verse 33, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Unless, of course, you're very strong spiritually, and then it's okay. If you're strong spiritually, it's okay to have friends that are leading you away from the morality that Jesus talks about, or the teachings that Jesus talks about. As long as it's the popular group, and as long as you go to church every Sunday, as long as you pray every night before bed, it's okay. That's not what it says. It, it's, it's very clear. Bad company corrupts good character. In verse 33, do not be disled. Bad company corrupts 
good character. And yet some will say, well, we can associate with those in the world a little bit as long as we are aware and we stay faithful to God. Or some wise educators have told me, hey, you need to drop your son in the middle of this, this group of people of teaching so that when they're older, they will be prepared to handle the temptations and the trials and the, and the sin that comes along with the world's perspective. But that's not what I see in Scripture here. That's like saying, okay, I'm going to give you a pint glass of raw sewage. You are extremely immune. I mean, you have got the best immunity. You are healthy. All you do is eat organic. You exercise. You don't watch television. You read. You do your breathing. You pray. You're super healthy. Doctor gives you an A+. But here's a pint of sewage to drink. You're going to be fine. Would you drink it? Of course not. That's even kind of sick just thinking about it. That's kind of vile. But what if I said, here's a glass of really good mountain spring water. I just pulled it out of there. It's running through gravel. It's a seat that comes underneath the mountain, and there's a gravel bed there. And at the end, there's this pipe that a farmer put in or a mountain ranch put in a long time ago, and it drips out, and it's the best tasting water you've ever had. But full disclosure, I took a little tiny droplet and I squeezed a tiny bit of sewage in there. It, you, you can't notice it. It's diluted to the point where you can't even smell it. Would you drink it? Probably not. Because even a little bit is kind of, it's, it's vile. It's just to think about the fact. It's just not something that we would want to do. And that word vile, the very thought of introducing raw sewage to our body, even in the smallest increments, it's kind of disgusting. And so I say when someone says to me, hey, why don't you just introduce them to this? Let them hang out. Let them go to this party. Let them go with their buddies and do this. I go, I know they drink pretty good water, but if I just give them a little bit of a vial of it, it won't be that bad. And that's what I'm saying as parents and as adults, we have to be very cautious that we're improving and increasing their spiritual strength so when they are out in the world, because they're still going to go out there, they're still, some are still going to go to school, they're still going to go to the store, they're still going to hear things and see things, they know to see those as, ooh, I don't even want a drop of it. That doesn't even sound good to me. And I was, I was really convicted and challenged by your message last week, brother, and when you quoted that gentleman that you did not have the opportunity to go to his, his memorial, but you heard about it, and... The, the person doing this, the, the service, the memorial for this man that had died, they quoted this passage, this, the 15th Psalm, about who this person was. And he says, I've been waiting my whole life to preach a message about someone that fit this role, that fit these qualities. And in the 15th Psalm, it says, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? He who's, he's asking a question, God, who may dwell in your, sec, in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? And he answers this. This is a challenge for every single one of us, I believe, to aspire to this. And men, you want to aspire to be an elder one day? You want to aspire that someone looks at you and says, hey, I need counsel, I need guidance? These are some areas that every one of us can probably improve on and look at and go, ooh, I want to be more like that. But this is who can dwell in the sanctuary of God. This is who can live on the holy hill of God. 
He whose walk is blameless and does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart and has no slander on his tongue, who does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow man, who despises a vile man but honors those who fear the Lord. It continues to go on, but I'm going to stop there. Who despises a vile man, despises a vile man, but honors those who fear the Lord. That word vile means morally bad, wicked, extremely unpleasant, contemptible, despicable, sinful. And it says despises the immoral man, despises the wicked man, despises the extremely unpleasant, evil, right, uh, uh, self-righteous, contemptible, despicable, sinful man. Despises that person. And that word despise means to feel contempt or deep repugnance, which means intense disgust. So we see these people in our lives and around us that we go, oh man, really successful and good. But then you look at who they are and they don't recognize the king of kings. And they live a very immoral life. But they fit into culture and society really well. And they're up on this pedestal. They look great and they're king of kings, right? They're kings. They're kings in this society. But they're not the king of kings. And what God is saying here is like, who can walk on the hill, who can live on the hill, who can live in the sanctuary, is those that despise, one of the characteristic traits, is who despises a vile man. But honors those who fear the Lord. You see, we, 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 we are around these group, this group of people that, that we have these cliques and these cultures and, and, and they, they think they're, they're somebody. And I look at people, I look at it different. I look at, does he fear God? Is he someone that fears God? Is he someone that studies the Word? Is it somebody that knows the Word? Is it somebody that looks at God and goes to God for counsel? Who truly fears God? That's who I admire. And I'm not going to tell you that I have not fallen victim to, oh man, they're a really great businessman. And I've fallen victim. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm perfect and, don't have, and haven't had or don't have struggles with that. But when I read this and I go, despises that immoral character. Do I still love them and want them to repent and go to heaven? Of course I do. But that's not where I'm getting my counsel from. That's not who I'm going to seek at and say, hey boys, look at that guy. That's who you want to be like. Follow me as I follow him as he follows Christ. I think that's what we need to strive for. As parents, as, as, as older humans in the church, God gives us some instruction and it's great in, in Proverbs 23. Who has communion this morning? Matt, good deal. In Proverbs 23, he says, My son, if your heart is wise, then my heart will be glad. My inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak what is right. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. There is surely a future hope for you. And your hope will not be cut off. When I couple that. With the very first psalm. Blessed is the man. Who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Or stand in the way of sinners. Or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season 
and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does will be profitable, will be good, will prosper. You have this promise from the King of Kings, the Almighty. This promise that says when we fear God, when we walk in the counsel of good God-fearing men and good God-fearing women, and we seek them, and we seek the Word of God, and we avoid the world and all that the trash that comes with it, God's saying you're going to prosper. You're going to be happier. You're going to be blessed. Whatever you do is going to be good. And so this lie that we're getting from all over this world and saying, hey, come fit in here or come be here or be a part of this. When I look at the scriptures and I see in here what we're supposed to do and I see in here what we're supposed to do, I'm baffled that people would leave that to go drink that. The conclusion on that commentary was, so what are we to do? What are we to do? We based on this, that uh, the scripture that bad company corrupts good character, the false teaching that has come in and that's caused people to leave, but that goes in all sorts of different, we can go hundred directions with that, but what are we to do? Paul provides the answer later on in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says, therefore, dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And this is to parents that he writes, as parents we need to stand firm against ungodly influences that may corrupt our children. We need to stand firm, firm against ungodly influences that may corrupt our children. And they are so, they are so thick out there. The ungodly influences that they're feeding our children every day and they're trying to feed us as well, it's ungodly and it leads to a very dark place. And this author is saying, watch out for those, stand firm against it. As church members, we need to stand firm against false teaching. As Christians, we need to stand firm against those who would corrupt our walk with Christ, that are taking the truth of the gospel and corrupting it and messing up our walk. In all things, we need to be self-controlled and alert because 1 Peter 5.8 says, Our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And God, through this letter that he wrote, or Peter, you know, Peter wrote to, I think, the seven churches scattered throughout the different areas, I think Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. He's saying, watch out, watch out, because there's a lion looking to devour you. It's the devil, and he's going to try and devour you. There's this constant warning, constant warning throughout Scripture. And I look back as a kid, I look back when I was, man, I can almost, I can almost count, I can see the day. It was my freshman year of baseball, and I got tied in with a group of guys, and it just led to a road of about seven or ten years of just not good stuff. I can, I can see the day. I can picture it. FFA, Future Farmers of America, California Agriculture, Lakeside, California. I, can, I mean, I, I got in there and I'm, now I'm a new kid in school and I want to fit in and I want to be cool and I want to be one of the guys. And I created it around me and I kind of got into a group of friends and that group of friends led me to about, I'm going to say, 10 years of, of difficulty. 10 years of pain, 10 years of struggle. Do I want my kids to go through that? No way. 
No way. I don't want them to go through that. So when it says you sleep with dogs, you're going to wake up with fleas. You lie down with dogs, you're going to stand up with fleas. When we say the birds of a feather flock together, you'll be judged by who you spend time with. Man, that's so true. And my encouragement is, connect with somebody here. Connect with a couple here that you can get close with, that you can be friends with, that you can have similar likes and similar dislikes. And maybe the similarity is just talking about the Word. But connect so that we don't have to go outside of the church body to get that counsel and get that information and get that encouragement that we need. Because when I see, look in Scripture... Man, I see just that, that first psalm is enough for me. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates on it day and night. Or that 23rd, or the, I'm sorry, yeah, the 23rd psalm. I mean, that I read earlier, we just look at these things and go, man, God has given us the pathway to happiness. The pathway to truth. And all this other stuff that you kids are hearing, Whew, man, not in my notes, but I think when Jackie Robinson got signed by Branch Rickey, I believe it was, play for the Brooklyn Dodgers, he says, you want, you want someone that's strong enough to fight back? He says, no, I want somebody strong enough not to fight back, meaning I want you to have the courage because you're the first one that's going to break the color barrier. I need someone that's going to be strong enough to just chin up and in the face of adversity, just chin up and not swing this fist, not throw a fist. And that's what he did, and he paved the way. So we need Christians that are going to stand up for truth and not get sucked in to the lies that are taught by the devil, and he's using people that don't even know they're being used. We need Christians that are going to stand up and say, no, that's not right. I'm not going to be a part of that. That's vile. I, have, I want no part of it. Hopefully that was as encouraging as... Uh, <laughs> as debt and marriage. But it's pretty powerful, I think, brothers and sisters. There's a lot in Scripture. There's a lot in Scripture about our fellowship and who we spend time with. So Matt, would you uh, bless our communion this morning? All right.